this. This is low by lift. My name is Tyler Byrne, and I'm coming to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Today, I talked to Ben Fama. He has published three poetry collections, Malwitch, Fantasy, and Death Wish. He has published a novel called If I Close My Eyes by Sarka Publishing. You can go pick it up at sarkapublishing.com. So it was a very excellent conversation, as most of mine are. Uh, you can go look at past episodes on Spotify and Apple and other podcast places. Um, And that's it. Thank you for listening. I did not edit this episode at all. I'm going to slap on the intro, and I'm going to send it up and put it up right up. I got so I got a lot of cool episodes coming up, you guys. I got one already in the bank that I'm working on right now. It's taking a little bit longer than I thought it would be. But guess what? Right now you're listening to Ben Fama's episode. So you're probably one of the most like respected and like admired like poets within like the indie scene. I feel like you have your ear in like the institutions, but then also like on the ground like Theo and people like that. How have you managed to do that over the course of your the journey of your life? Was that like a strategy? Um that's a really flattering <laughs> portrait. Um I I think like well part of like being in New York is that like um in the literary world like the, there is access to to a lot of institutions um as well as like you kind of can like choose your own adventure of like what kind of writer you want to be. Um, it's like, do you want to like go up to the 92nd street Y every week and hear their readings or do you want to like go to Bushwick things and like backyard readings. And um, I just have that hunger for everything in a way. And um, I quickly realized that there was like quite a bit of not quite gatekeeping, but just like people, people kind of like check you out for like where you went to school, where your background is, where you moved to New York from and who you already knew. And uh, that can kind of shut you out of the like, uh, sort of like more elite art and uh, institutional types of um, like the Academy of American Poets, for instance, you know. Um, but I have, you know, I have been lucky that I, I like have had some like good regard by those institutions. But I would say generally like my close friends and the people I respect the most are like probably a little closer to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you feel shut out from like higher institutions? And well, I mean, um, it, I didn't. Um, I feel like when I was younger and like interested in writing and reading, I I just thought like having a book in general was like something I wanted to do. I never, I didn't necessarily know about differences between like, like something such as like a Guggenheim fellowship or, or even like a Ruth Lilly prize or even like poetry foundation or things like that. So it's like, you kind of learn about them and then it's like, things start to seem alluring, like maybe I should try to get this or like a poetry foundation page or like, 
But honestly, I was like more stressed about trying to get Mellow Pages readings back in the day than like oh yeah readings. Yeah, because I felt like um, that's where all the excitement was, mm -hmm. and um, like the people who I considered peers were doing stuff there, and so it and was like. How soon after like you coming to New York had that started? Had you been already been in New York for a few years? I think Mellow Pages opened around like uh, I moved here in 2007. I think Mellow Pages was like 2010, 11, mm -hmm. 12. Um, but yeah, like it, it was like definitely like alt lit 1.0 type of space and. Mm -hmm. um, which was really cool because it was like all this stuff just seemed so like uh, pointedly online. Mm -hmm. You could actually just go to this place and like meet all these people and um, you figure out who was really nice really fast, which is most of the people. Um, when did you like want to start being a poet? Like when you're in like elementary school? I, um, I, I started seriously writing when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. I did music before. But I was oh, yeah? more interested in like writing music than lyrics, and um, but I always loved reading a lot. Were you ever in a band? Yeah, I played in different bands, and over COVID, I recorded a bunch of stuff. Well, did um, you were you in a band in high school? Yeah, I was in this like, I was like would play. I was like grew up near Virginia Beach, so like mm -hmm. that's just where the venues were, and I was in this pop punk band. What was it called? Clearly labeled clearly labeled yeah i didn't come up with that name but um okay. i mean i don't know these kids are like 14 or 15 you know but do you still keep in contact with any of them there's one who just sent me uh, a video of him um rehearsing with the saves the day cover band mm -hmm. and it was like songs we used to listen to driving around and he was like you i'm playing a saves the day cover set and i was like hell yeah man what instrument did you play guitar Okay. When did you learn guitar? Um, in the in the um, suburbs in the '90s in guitar world and like mm -hmm. learning two finger power chords and then like. So I was growing up in the suburbs in the '90s. It was um it was sick. Like you ride your bike around, you like um, find someone who has a black and mild, and they like have like the shittiest weed which i like wasn't even really that interested in because i can't handle weed my mind just like my mind is not a very friendly place in general so um what do you mean would, by that what what do you mean by that you're um i have place. like a lot of core negatives and like negative self-talk and like a lot of fear that like my default mode is to like trust my fear more than like uh more like affirmative thoughts so when i smoke weed that those things just intensify like 10 times oh yeah so like where does that come from you think like growing up your parents or like society or like the environment um i don't think my parents necessarily meant to instill fear fear in me but there i think is generally a sense that like you need to have a like a good discipline at a young age to like make the most of your aptitude or else your whole life is going to be a string of fuck ups. Mm -hmm. And like the, I, I actually did take school seriously, but I just still wasn't that good at it. And mm -hmm. so it was just like, I think I did. I realized this recently. I think I did really interject a lot of this, like, um, 
like you get a grade that's a B that's like average and it's like you tr you trust it, you know, and it's like mm -hmm. I'm just average and it's like I don't want to get stoned and think about that. And so yeah. it's like or be be like trapped relentlessly thinking about that. Yeah. So you wanted to fight against that. Were you afraid to go to New York initially? Um I didn't think I would stay here, so I think I I just thought it was really funny that I was trying to live here. Mhm. Mm and um I'm surprised I've lasted this long. Was it like right after college? Like you graduated? Then you yeah, and I was I like was trying to figure out where, where to go from Virginia and like Portland was it seemed like a good candidate then in like the mid 2000s because it was really affordable and you could just bike around everywhere and there's a lot of good bookstores and um, you know you could pay like 300 something rent and like mm -hmm. New York you could pay like 600 rent. Um, but I had a couple good friends here, and uh, they they were like really close friends of mine. And I thought I would try this because I visited them, and it just was really fun. Was there an online like literary community back then that you had known of, or were involved? Not that in? I knew of. I just like really wanted to go to KGB bar for something, and mm -hmm. um, I would listen to like po I I actually did listen to Poetry Foundation podcasts and. Um, they had something about like a Bryant Park reading series and they did like this Frank O'Hara lunch poem reading that I went to. And um, I, I was also into like um, wave books back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like see where Joshua Beckman would read. And like, even if I couldn't go to those readings, I would just like look at when those venues had other readings mm -hmm. and I would just go to them. And that's kind of just like how I made friends. So what'd you major in when you were an undergrad? I studied print journalism. So I like learned how to write like news, like local news mm -hmm. articles. Did you ever use actually, that? I have used it when, when doing critical writing. I didn't realize it, but they teach you how to like figure out what the most important things are and mm -hmm. put that in the first sentence. And that was actually a really useful skill, even though it was boring as fuck when I was doing it. Mm -hmm. Now, have, um, you gone and, have you gone and gone like... like when you really care about what you're doing, it's like good to have those skills, I'd say. Have you gone and gotten an MFA? Yeah, so I ended up getting a temp job at New School University in Manhattan. Um, I was like, I worked in the admissions office and um, I've lost every job I've had in New York, but um, this one was, was like such an easy job to get. I just showed up and like filled out the paperwork and you go into this room where like everyone applying for new school, their mail will come in and they would sort it. And if they just ask like who knew how to use a computer and like half the people raise their hand and they just put all us in the computer room wow. and we, we would just um, look at what the mail was, look up this person, add that their transcript arrived from what college. And that was like, I did that eight hours a day and I, you could put on the headphones and I would just like, listen to YouTube songs and YouTube readings or just like shoot the shit with the other temps. Mm -hmm. And I ended up um, sticking with new school for like long enough that uh, they do have an MFA program and it's affordable if you work there. So I went to school and I went for fiction because I wanted to do something that I thought would be really hard and I didn't know that much about. So you just wanted to do something that was really, really hard? Well, I, I, I felt like I'd gotten like a like a DIY MFA, just like talking to so many people about poetry for so many years. You know, I'd lived mm -hmm. here for so long. It was like 
I had no shortage of people to talk to poetry, talk to about poetry and like share drafts with. And like, I was getting published here and there and it just sort of seemed like, I, if you kind of like know too much about something, when you go into an MFA, it's sort of like, why are you there? Because you have all these biases and you have your tastes and it's like, with fiction, I just knew I, I like, didn't know how to do it. And it really kicked my ass. Well, that makes a lot of sense though. Yeah, that would definitely recommend if people ask me MFA advice all the time and the general common advice that I got, which I will pass on is don't go into debt over or much debt. And I also would say like, do something you think you'd really get a lot out of. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who go to MFA programs and they already have a lot of poetry friends and I think they're just kind of like waiting for it to be over and it's just kind of a bummer. Mm -hmm. So what'd you learn about writing poetry through taking fiction, a fiction MFA? Um, well, not much. I, I learned a lot about fiction. Yeah. Um, the two don't cross over, you don't think? Well, I learned how to use fiction tricks in poetry, I would say. Um, like I always loved writing about fantasy and desire, but um, it didn't come naturally in fiction to write stories where you always knew what the characters wanted. Like I had to really train myself to do that. Mm -hmm. I was more interested in, in like um, atmospheres and vibes and just like naming the things that people wanted rather than like explaining how they came to want them. And like it took me the whole MFA program of like my instructor repeatedly tell me <laughs> We need to know what they want. We need to know what they want. And it's a cliche. Um, like I think Kurt Vonnegut has this thing that's like every character needs to want something, even if it's a glass of water. Mm. I don't know if you heard that. No. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 ridiculous, but it's like makes sense. Yeah. When people read a story, I think they kind of unconsciously know like who is this person? Do I like them enough to want to keep reading to see if they get what they want? And like Do you think fiction is more for like a mass general like audience just in general historically yeah i mean mm -hmm. having just published a novel way more people are, have been interested in it um but people i don't know and my poetry books fell into the hands of a lot of people i didn't know also but i think i think it's just more approachable right you like start on the first page yeah and an hour goes by and you are either down or you fucking <laughs> want to sell that book <laughs> back yeah. to the used bookstore and uh true do you see that with poetry though? Like when you start on the first page, like there's a story that's happening throughout, or is it like, do you see different stories for each and every poem? I think um, particularly in the alt lit mode, there's, it can be more confessional and therefore more narrative. Mm -hmm. You kind of stay with the same subjectivity throughout, but um, more experimental stuff. But sometimes the language itself is like what people are more interested in, not, not really. And then it's kind of more heady and, and that's fun too, but it's kind of a different thing. But that yeah, can I, tried be really... to, Go I, ahead. I try to connect like what the stories were like in like death wish because there's a first part where you just like list celebrity names yeah and there's, there's a second part where there's clearly two characters and i just get i was kind of guessing that it was all about the displays of power and the relationships that we have to power and the relationships that we have with these imaginary like celebrities in our head and that's kind of what you're pointing out yeah um I mean, there's a, that book was written over a couple of years. So um, I was in like a different headset, a different mindset and headspace by the end than the beginning for sure. But um, I'd say like they, 
as much as there's characters like I and a U, like power is also a character in that book. Mm-hmm. And um and like uh the image, like the two-dimensional image, and even like how the like object of your desire can become two-dimensional in a way, or or just like a, a um a screen that even you take orders from sometimes in like the power sense. And this is mm-hmm. really interesting to just like work through all that. There's a lot of erotica in there that um I wrote like in a really fun way with another person. Um, but I like wanted to make it really good. And um, I wasn't even sure if I would ever publish it, but my friend Rachel Rabbit White, she was saying that is like an unusual position to see like the the male figure in like the subordinate role. Mm-hmm. And that would be interesting for people to read poems from that position. So I really focused on that, like those elements. Um, so that's kind of what ended up in the book. Isn't she your friend from like growing up? Uh, yeah, Rachel, like my whole life. Yeah. When did you guys meet? You know, like in elementary school? Yeah. Um, I mean, like people thought we were siblings in Virginia, but we're not. But we still tell people we were. Yeah. That sounds like a 90s like thing to do. If you tell your best friend is like your sibling. I mean, people assume it's just like more fun to go along with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Did, so did, was you always wanted to be a writer, too? You guys like had that in common. She was a real like she went to school in Chicago for media mm-hmm. writing, I think, or, or journalism, and um, like really like hit the ground running with that. And I mean, she's written mm-hmm. for so many places. And now, um, did you did you ever write for like Vice or anything? I no, not the way she has. Like, I never had a column. Or, okay. I've done like uh, like they asked me to review Lana Del Rey's poetry book, mm-hmm. and um, they really wanted me to they asked me questions to like lead me into my review and they, they were trying to get me to just totally tear her down. Wow. And I was like, that's not cool. Like Lana's not a writer, you know, she's a singer mm-hmm. and like, you can do a lot of stuff with lyrics that I think you can, I, because the music lets you get away with, I think like uh, more generalizations and like, uh, it just can seem sloppier if you read it just on the page. And mm-hmm. Also, like, you know, Lana has, like, some cringy stuff. Like, she's, like, loves the beatniks and, like, um, like, there's, a there's like, like, we're talking about, like, uh, the institution versus, like, uh, the DIY stuff. And, like, the institution would love to shit all over Lana because it's, like, that's not trendy and that's not, like, popular in academic circles. But I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm not going to write this mm-hmm. thing about how Lana is, like, a bad writer. I mean, it's just one book of poems, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually wrote about why it was good and they changed they had to change their article to be like we asked two poets to review the book before it was like Lana Del Rey tries to write a book mm-hmm. and I was like I'm not going to do that like that's just like oh shitty and I also if uh, if you're listening to this at home this podcast I would recommend you check out Lana's audio book she's a great reader of those poems and I think it would make you understand what she's doing yeah, she's very popular like it was in, in the independent like literary spaces yeah seems like even like people that like don't like each other still like lona del rey what do you mean i don't know there's just, like a lot of there's a lot of clicks and there's a lot of like i think little rivalries within like alt lit spaces and it seems like even if people disagree with one another or or in different clicks they all still love lona del rey lana transcends why do you think that is 
I mean, what she, is it about her well, music? Probably because um, she's like so famous and on such a major label and untouchable and unreachable and unknowable um, that a lot of people can claim her. Mm-hmm. Did she have ever... friends with anyone? I only know one person who's ever been friends with her and he doesn't even really have contact with her because she changes her number so much. Oh, really? She's like untouchable? I think so. Unreachable. Yeah. So do you think it's a smart way to go if you're an artist? I've thought about this so much. Um, like the extremely online artist versus, I mean, everyone, I think, valorizes the offline artist who's like mm-hmm. unknowable and untouchable, but I don't know. Honestly, I, I really, I don't, I mean, you don't want to be on super online, like extremely online and cringe and like demystify yourself entirely and like sully your art. Mm-hmm. Um, but like now it is so hard not to do that because like everything that somebody does in public, especially someone of like Lana's stature, people just use that to understand their art so much. And like, oh. Even if it's just like they figure out who your parents are and then you're a Nepo baby and then they like mm-hmm. reinterpret your body of work that way. It's like, I mean, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's just like you can't not be involved in those funny games at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. When did you start your, your podcast? You used to have a podcast. I used to have a podcast with my then partner, Monica McClure. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it like 20... 15 2016 2017 yeah i remember that are you still friends with her yeah yeah um i mean that i mean it was convenient because we lived together so it was like we could record these and she's like really smart and i kind of needed her to have the podcast so it was like um as we were reconfiguring our relationship and we're less in touch it kind of just like didn't make sense to keep doing it um but no it was really fun is it hard to keep friends with the people that you're not doing projects with as an artist for me at this point a lot of my friendships come out of collaborations and And uh, so you do you make projects just to hang out with certain people i have yeah i've proposed collaborations because i want to understand the other person's work more yeah do they know that going in probably yeah or is it like a subconscious oh it's just sort of like i'm interested in what you're doing and i'm curious what will come out of it and i mean Mm -hmm. If um, you don't like the person you're working with, it is going to be miserable. And, oh, and, yeah. Like, most of the things I do aren't paid. So it's like, if I don't like the person and like consider them a friend, I'm going to be really miserable. Yeah. So when you left college and you went to New York, did you have goals in mind of you didn't? I didn't know. I didn't really know that much about like New York and like mm-hmm. uh, what, what how things worked. I just wanted to see. So did you, you said you already had friends. Would you already meet friends online? I, um, it kind of wasn't until like the 2010s that I think online writing communities really started taking off. And I, I met Kay Durbin. Mm-hmm. She's probably my first online friend I met that I really um, got a lot of inspiration from. And when I started the press wonder, she was the first full-length book that we did e-entertainment mm-hmm. um and uh I, I just thought what she was doing with online stuff then was really important and no one was really doing it and then um was this before uh occupy wall street yeah it was so occupy i think was like actually 
Occupy was like 2008 or nine. It was during the recession. I guess it was after. Mm -hmm. Might have been 2011. Oh, 2011. Yeah. Um, I knew. I met Kate after that. I met. Do you think a lot, of, you think a lot of online spaces exasperated, like, or like opened up more after Occupy Wall Street? I think um, Occupy like showed people how useful those online spaces were for organizing. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe people realized that like you could apply those models to um, writer groups as well. Even you're just organizing people to do like, I don't remember what uh, medium it was, but I remember people would be like, we're hanging out on this stream and it would be like a couple, I'll let people just talking and then sometimes they would read, but it was just sort of like, hanging out i mean that had to be one of the first events that drew like everyone of a particular age to kind of do something politically active but then it kind of festered out if you think about it i think it was 2011 yeah except i like remember i was working at parsons in the new school then i had like gotten a job in a different department and i went with my coworker on break i just like hadn't had time to go visit and just like be a part of the human mic and that stuff and we like went down there um and then there was um some people organized some readings there but it was kind of like awkward with the human mic to like mm -hmm. do the readings and um the night that they i remember eileen miles was like the big name that they had well wow. probably just in my mind but i was like eileen miles doing this reading and like a bunch of people were going to do readings and this like crazy rainstorm came and we just like everyone scattered um how soon after that do you come out with Mallwitch? Mallwitch was 2012. So it was like a year after. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Did you already like with Mallwitch? Did you have like a specific idea in mind? I mean, obviously, because it looks like a magazine. Mallwitch is yeah, very like, I'd say a mix of like a glossy magazine that you'd like throw into the woods mm -hmm. and like a Tumblr. Isn't it designed after the game, the board game? Which one? Which game? In the nineties, there's like a board game that's a mall. And like, um, I don't, th I don't think so. You don't think so? Oh, I didn't it design exactly it. We had a, uh, like we it. had a designer who smokes a ton of weed, and it's very possible he just didn't tell me that. Because if you see this thing, it's like exactly, almost like the board game. Interesting. I mean, every age. Kind of has its own vibe, yeah. Um, but I'd say Tumblr so, like, and marijuana is are the main are the main themes. But just like getting those poems into like even the like good, not definitely not great shape. Um, like I think some of those poems are good, but it was a weird uh, co collective writing project. Um, but did you like? Were you trying to like be subversive about like? like what a book looks like um i don't think subversive but i think i wanted to do something that i hadn't seen before yeah like you wanted to be ambitious and like change yeah it's an ambitious design and it was the first book wonder did but it was sort of like we did a kickstarter for it we raised two thousand dollars which seemed like so much money then um mm -hmm. now that only buy you half a book 
Really? Yeah, like paper costs so much now post pandemic, and like shipping yeah. is like seven hundred dollars just to like FedEx something from Michigan. It's just like it's ridiculous. But um, we like <laughs> me in two thousand twelve organizational skills like mustered every uh every uh responsible cell in my body to organize a kickstarter with rewards and like make a video and like mm -hmm. figure out how all that worked i went to kickstarter office which was like a i don't know if that's still even a physical space but they they helped me and um we basically use kickstarter as a pre-sale so and you it, were just going by like the seat of your pants yeah um i like had enough friends and had done like done a I did had this magazine called Super Machine mm -hmm, that really? was um published like 20 30 people an issue and I did four issues so I had like 120 people <laughs> in my contact list that was just like told them I was like moving from a magazine to full length books and um I remember with the Song Cave they were like the first book they did, they published one of the editors and they were like, practice on yourself, not mm -hmm. someone who this is the most important thing in their life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that makes sense because I'm definitely going to fuck this up. And so it was like, how do we fund this press? And uh, I didn't want to crowdsource on someone else's project because if you face planted, it'd be really embarrassing. Mm -hmm. But um, to me and Andrew Durbin and uh, Paul Legault, we just like made this Malwich book and, and like, raised two grand, sold it, and then used that money to publish Kate Durbin's book. And then like things were going really good for a while. We had um, Andrew Durbin and Trisha Lower editors, but their own individual careers really took off and they were like published books and got real jobs and were able to keep up. And then I kind of did it on my own as much as I could. Um, pandemic hit, it was really took a hit for Wonder, but kind of been re imagining what the press is now and uh, chariot wish is doing our chat books now is doing a really good job and have a, a good team now with some friends annie and nico and um a newsletter person named nikki and um we're doing a club wonder in person reading series which is good and then occasionally bigger venues in the city hit me up to do stuff um mm -hmm. ace hotel hit me up um photography scott which is this photography museum i got in touch with them we did something and that's just always really sweet because you can pay um i don't get paid but i just like to give a reader 300 dollars for a reading is just like so nice so so how'd you start your first magazine super machine i just wanted uh oh i knew a bunch of people who were for ugly duckling press okay and um i would go volunteer at their press days and I was like, I should do a magazine. And they were like, yeah, do a magazine. Because, um, like, if you don't go to grad school and make a bunch of friends, it was like, how am I going to make friends? And it was like, you just give you something to talk about. And, um, I mean, I'm shy, but I'm not that shy that I, like, needed a magazine so I could like, have something to talk yeah. about people when I met them at a bar. But um, I appreciate that, that advice, and it was really fun. And I did... Um, Get to meet writers all over the country and europe so what was the goal of the first one the goal was like um to make a magazine that i was proud of and that people who were in it were like proud to show people their contributor copies mm -hmm. what did it look like it um there's this baltimore artist who gave me permission to use 
uh, his drawing of the cover, which is like three schoolgirls who all look like they're spitting up into the air, like these like streams of water. It's kind of surreal looking. And um, the other one has a skateboard, a skeleton skateboarding. And then the last one is like a picture of Julie Cruz from Twin Peaks, actually. That's funny. When did you yeah. work? I heard, uh, or I saw in an interview where Tommy Pico said he worked with you somewhere early in the, your days. How many people read at one of my um, book launches? For Were you guys like worked at like Tin House or maybe it's Ugly Duckling or something? Oh yeah, he. I think we were both interns. Yeah, we would both go do to do like the volunteer days at Ugly Duckling, where they like they have a huge stack of letterpress covers, a huge stack of all the interiors, um, all the needles, all the threads, mm-hmm. and you just sew and talk for like four hours. Was it cool to see him take off? yeah um for sure i mean that's something that just like being in new york this long is like just seeing how many people have like figured out who they are as a writer and like watch that like morgan parker i'd say was one mm-hmm. um elaine Kahn, tommy pico um andrew durbin and trisha Lowe, both of them for sure um and then like now i can tell the next generation's coming and it's really exciting but who do you see where you're like you're disappointed they didn't like make it <laughs> Are there a lot of people like that? Um, there's people who I see had made a big splash, and I'm kind of like, what are you going to do now? And um, I don't know. I mean, it's there's a lot of ways to be an artist and find fulfillment. And it's interesting because, like, the people that got a lot of – like, people don't even remember what Mellow Pages was. Like, people don't know what that is. Yeah. And I'm just like, that was like, that used to be like ground zero of like everything anyone talked about. And it's just, it's honestly like that has taught me so much, which is like, do not put too much stock in what is really popular right now. Like, that's not what it's about. Like, you can be grateful to those spaces and like the people who did that, like those dudes, like they busted their ass. They were there all the time. And like, those things were so fun and they gave so much. And um, like, I'm always grateful for that. And it's like, I hope people could like just like ring that scene out at the time for like all the inspiration and like friendship and support they needed. And it's like, you have to like, like endlessly find that in like different communities and stuff. And then, um, I mean, it looks different now. I, I think like what's happening now is, is like pretty grotesque by comparison. Um, How so? I see just like a lot of clout chasing and what like, what would have been Mellow Pages now, I guess, is more of like a, a Dime Square type of thing. But like, it's kind of, that's kind of like apples to oranges because Mellow Pages is in Brooklyn and it was like, you could get free beer. You know, mm-hmm. it was like w- warm temperature beer. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. it was gross. And um, it was gross. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't like, like there was like dirty couches, you know, it was like, yeah. have you been, did you ever go? No. Um, yeah, it was just like, uh, I don't know, it was like a grimy DIY thing that was just like, had a lot of love and heart and like people r- really cared about it um and there's like not really sp- there's our spaces like that the poetry project i'd say is like that but that's been there way before and it that's mm-hmm. and that's just like that's just like many generations and just like the history there is is unbelievable but um so much of what's trending now and being written about in the media are like attractive people who have flash photography who um 
it's i never seen curators get more attention than the readers before you know oh really like what is going on here you know but it's like i do know what's going on here because i've seen it you know i've seen this story every year every three years it changes over and it's like the biggest names from the mellow pages era are either canceled now or people don't even know who they are or both and it and it's like uh the more that changed the more you know the party goes on the corpses change but the party goes on forever you mm -hmm. know and it's like at the end of the day i'm still sitting alone on the couch and it's like i can work in my microsoft word drafts and it's like i'm trying to figure out my next novel now and it's like who am i doing it for at this point and it like has to be me because if it's not i'm not going to find any inspiration because it's like if you get lost in the fame game which is very alluring and you can start to really feel like that's important but it's not important really it's something i learned from dennis cooper he's talking about how he's never been written about in the new yorker or like the new york review of books or like book forum and they're definitely aware of him he's published like a dozen books but it's like what does he really want um versus like what do people want for him and he says like the more famous writers want to be cult icons like him and of mm -hmm. course like he wants the money that like a, a more famous writer gets and it's like but actually i feel like dennis has always done what he wanted to do and it, it's like he's also like he's sort of online and it's yeah, like he so lives I, in paris i've always felt like that is just like very romantic and, but it's also really ironic because he's like the famous guy within indie spaces so there's always yeah. this still this appeal to the popular one that's really that's interesting i mean i always felt like he was as successful as someone can get but oh yeah so hmm, where do we go from here when you're when you see a place like mellow's uh spaces do you first like become resentful of it and jealous of it but then eventually join in on it on the activities that's uh i try not to do that because it's like so ego-based it's self-centered it's like mm -hmm. i'm not a part of it i'm not a part of it oh you want me i loved you i always have loved you you know i i mm -hmm. see people do that and they're like if people will learn about a new thing and immediately dm and be like oh i'm a big fan i would love to collab and it's like you're not a big fan you just learned about it yeah and um i try to keep my eyes on my own paper as it were mm -hmm. like be nice to everyone and like be very grateful for all the opportunities I've been given and I've had and um, realize that like, especially post pandemic New York, a lot of things are new. And there was a time I was new and I, and, and I heard, you know, people talk shit on me. They thought I was like a rich brat who just showed up to New York and like thought I would get handed things. And um, it was definitely not the case. And um, so when I see younger people, I, in like newer things, I just try to like, do what i would have wanted people to do to me which is like either not like be nice to them go and support or if nothing else just like be neutral on it you know like who who were the first people that talked shit about you well for good reason i used to think you could pitch an event at the poetry project um mm -hmm. which is oh, so funny like they don't take pitches for events they have paid curators but i was like i for some reason i knew they did talks and uh um, I had edited this chapbook for Ugly Duckling Press called Poetry is Not a Project by Dorothea Lasky. Mm -hmm. And they had a workshop there um, by Dan Macklin, who was one of the main people from Future Poem called Poem is Project. 
and Dottie and Dan were friends and I was like, we should do a panel that's like poem is not a project or is it or something? And like, mm -hmm. they were both down and I just like, I was like, hey, can we do this panel at Poetry Project? Cause it's called Project. And then they never wrote back and I was like, hey, we should do this or we should have a launch for this chapbook. And finally they were just like, Ben, this is never gonna happen. We only do two talks a year. We have curators, we're booked, like stop asking. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, okay. But then uh, it got back to me that like around drinks, a bunch of people have been like, what the fuck is up with Ben Fama? He is just like really wanted to do this event. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I did. I, I, I didn't know that. Like, Well, that's shitty. They're shitting on your ambitions to go do something. Well, I think it might have seemed coded as um, uh, the like confidence that men have of just like sending an email and asking for something. Mm -hmm. But really, I just felt like the worst thing that could happen is what happened, which is they would say no. And then I would tell Dottie because Dottie wanted to do it. I actually felt really protected because I wasn't going to be on stage and I actually wouldn't get any, uh, like it wasn't about me. So it was kind of like funny. Like the idea of doing that event there was just like comical. Also, that would have been really good. Um, but I just realized it rubbed people the wrong way. And I, I, I just didn't think that people, especially institutions that were so established, like there would be any way I could like get under their skin, you know, like mm -hmm. a little old me. But, yeah. Are there like weird rules within the poetry community? Like sort of like in the wrestling community, you have to go up and shake someone's hand and there's like this whole res weird respect thing. <laughs> the wrestling community has, has like so many rules. Yeah. Um, I wish the po literary world had had more of a vocabulary for that stuff. Oh yeah. Like, is it a work? Is it a shoot? <laughs> oh, yeah, I wish we had that. Um, because that. I think people would behave better because you have like a way to talk to them about their behavior. Yeah. Have you ever been plagiarized? Yeah. You have? When? Um, well, I've noticed that like sometimes in class, I'll notice like students will have lines that are lines I have. Um, For real? Do you think they're just playing like? I don't. I well, I think they don't you? know. I think like unconsciously people read things and like lines rattle in their heads. And um, the other side of that is I, I was convinced I sold this line from Dan Major's book, Party Knife. That was, I saw my reflection in a pile of trash. And finally I just emailed him and was like, is this from your book? I can't find it. And he was like, that is definitely not in my book. And he had a line. It was like that, but like every word was like three or four words separated from mine. So I just, I used it, but I was like, I wanted to do due diligence and not totally crib the line, but I'm sure that that's happened with other things. Um, but it's like, I don't know, like, just try to let it go, you know? Do you remember the Ali O'Toole thing where she like tattooed ramshackle on her arm? No. <laughs> you don't remember that? That was like in 2018. Mm. Like, she stole a bunch of like lines from like, non i was like non-white people so it was and she was white and so did she win a prize yeah okay i do remember someone who won a prize and then got called out for it um and it did turn into this whole thing and then i don't think what came out of that she's gone now she's like doesn't exist anymore <laughs> she died yeah i don't know so when you're after you make mall witch are you more like guided towards what you want to do with your life like you're taking it more serious 
because you're putting out books? Um, well, I'm definitely more serious now than ever, but then I wasn't. Then I was like, the party has started. Like, when did when does this change from you being like party guy to like I'm taking this serious? I'm taking this serious like every day. Um, um. Well, I take it. I took it serious every day then, mm -hmm. but um, and I think just by like Ben Mirov gave me this advice once I was like working on this poem and I was worried that I like wouldn't finish it in time for it to be relevant because it was like a lot about um, social media notifications, which have been remained very relevant. But um, this was like 10 years ago and he was like, don't focus on the relevance, just focus on just making it really good. And he was like, then it will be good. And I was like, okay, all right. And I was like, really like tried hard. And it's like, I feel like once you make something that you know is really good, you can't bullshit yourself after that. Or if you mm -hmm. can, but it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. um, like, what do you mean? You can't hate on it? No, you can, you can, yeah, I think you have to willfully, like somebody asked Jeff Tweedy, like, do you feel like you're still making your best albums? And it was like, mm -hmm. obviously he's not like Yankee, Hotel Foxtrot was like, he's Wilco hasn't made that album again. They never, like, that's the kind of thing you just like, every artist kind of has this where you they make their best thing. And it's like, you're not going to give up. You have people, yeah. like, you have to keep making stuff. Like, what else are you going to do? But it's yeah. like, you don't want to play yourself by just like ripping yourself off. So it's like, how do you keep the hunger? Like, how do you keep this like bright need alive? And for me, it's by like, continuing to read things that really inspire me mm -hmm. also thinking outside of my immediate peer group like i don't read a lot of contemporary books because all i see is the social stuff you know and it, it's not good for me um though i do love being won over by something that i'm kind of suspicious of um, i love that yeah like you think you're not gonna like something and then you just i love when that happens especially mm -hmm. if i don't like the person yeah um, I can't think of an example right now because that hasn't happened in a while. But um, is there ever you want to reach out to them and be like, "Oh, this is so good," but you know you can't because it's kind of weird. Um, no, I've told people that, knowing that like that's what I'll say, and then whatever they say back, I'll be like, "Yeah, thanks again for writing it. I thought it was great," and then just like let it go there. Mm -hmm. Are they ever like shocked? I think people almost always shocked to get a compliment on writing. Mm -hmm um did you ever make a friend though like that you were used to be enemies with because the writing was so good you're like fuck god damn it i really wish, think about this. i wish the writing sucked let me really yeah i've definitely um hmm. no there's usually people i like who i wish their writing was better mm -hmm. do you think there's a like a more like a, a unified like queer or gay community within the like all lit spaces not unified it more, it's more dispersed especially right now in new york like there's so many scenes really there's so many scenes there's like every reading series has a scene around it now and it's like those six to twelve people don't talk to the other six to twelve people or they sort of do and it's like yeah because there's like strong opinions on art and things like, like that i don't know if they it's even strong opinions as much as like things like if you think of like Put a bunch of rocks in a bag and shake them around it's like the really tiny rocks go to the bottom and then like the medium rocks go in the middle and it's like like 
falls down to like light goes to like, and it's just, I think like people go to where they feel warm and welcomed and comfortable for whatever reason. So it's always interesting to see someone move here and then see like where they end up. Mm -hmm. Would you do, do would you like there to be more queer centric centric spaces or do you like uh, avoid that sort of stuff? I'm, I, I mean, club wonder has like, I'd say he's like mostly queer non-binary writers and, um, I don't curate it that much anymore, mostly because I'm focused more on the books, but also because I think like there's a lot of people who are excited to do that, who mm -hmm. like bring in people that I might not know about. Mm -hmm. It's just so much better. Like people come and attend and um, usually my role there is just like making sure the mic is set up. And then like sometimes I bring books to give the readers from wonder, like readers will want a wonder book or like sometimes we set up a book table, but um. That's just like a, it's just so cool and just like seeing what's going on. And there's like, there's just so much going on. You can't keep up with everything, but I kind of get a glimpse into it that way. Um, but no, I wouldn't say like, I, I wish there was less going on. Mm -hmm. Are you? I, I love how much is going on here. It's what keeps me here. How do you feel about long poems? <sighs> Fucking sick if you can get there. Yeah. I see so many of them now. I mean, how long are we talking? Like the entire book, like a book link poem. I love that. I would love to do that. I, I, um, I always dreamed of having a book of poems where there's no titles on anything. Like Dara Wire has a book called Reverse Rapture that's like that. But it's just like really hard to talk about because you just like, there's no points of reference. The whole thing is just like this flow of language, which I think is beautiful conceptually. Mm -hmm. I think it's sometimes hard to tap into. What is it about poetry you love so much? Unexpected combinations of things. Yeah. Like, you know, people are like, I'm gagged. I feel like that's the feeling I get when someone is like, I'm gagged. Like someone just like brings together thoughts. It's like reading poems is the closest you can get to seeing how people actually think. Mm -hmm. And people's thoughts are fucking crazy. You know, yeah. the way they talk isn't crazy, but people's actual minds, fucking crazy. Yep. So you can just see what people are really like. And I fucking love that. That shit is fucking crazy. Yeah, I'm reading so much poetry now. I'm seeing like people lean in like 150% into the poem and the uh -huh. book or it doesn't really work. Yeah. You can't be mild-mannered. You have to go out all out. Exactly. That's kind of the same thing of like, how do you keep going after you've like, like after Malwitch, it was like that book, we like wanted it to be really balls out. And it was like, then what could we do? And it was like, what was what was the press going to do so it was like kate durbin's book and then like um just like some events we did this crush party where you could like anonymously invite your crush and then like um it was just like it was at a it was at a public place um like now for some reason i feel like that seems not safe to do but it was like actually really cute also like wonder was not very big then so i think there was like 30 people there and i knew every single person listed so it was sort of like chill but um they're just like what what can we do that's just like going to keep us excited and um it's like that 150 percent. you know it's like mm -hmm. you gotta this maybe this is the last thing i would say about writing but it's like my friend told me this story he heard frank ocean telling tyler the creator this at uh in front of a restaurant um in new york and he was like frank was like leaning in and he was like before you put this out you gotta know this is like the absolute best shit that you could have made for the like this has to really be the best thing that you could have made mm -hmm. um and like that's what this is and that's what you're putting out and i was like 
that makes sense for Frank, like as like a way they would have figured it out when they were starting. And he was like, no, this happened like a year ago. And I just like couldn't believe that like they, <laughs> they would have this conversation in like 2021. Mm-hmm. And it just like made me feel like that was what it's all about, you know? Seems a little like competitive in a way. Well, you're comparing it to yourself. Yeah, that's true. And that I think is okay. And it's like, if you believe in God, it's like, what, what does this creator want from me? You know, like what? Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe in that also, I mean, there's like a negative way of just being like, what's the greatest thing I can muster out of like all human inspiration I have. I mean, competitive means like you're looking what someone else does and want to do it better. But like what I'm interested in is like figuring out my own idiosyncrasies and figure out my voice and like doing that in a new Mm -hmm. and like the best way possible. Have you written your perfect poem? I thought I did, but then I recently cut the last line and I read it without the last line. And someone was like, I'm so glad you cut the last line. I didn't even know that they would realize that, but they had. And um, so no, I don't think I've written a perfect poem. Okay. But you strive to every time you sit down. Of course. Every poem is the attempt. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that though? And then like, are you disappointed? Are you ever disappointed with a poem you put out? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I feel like everything becomes juvenilia the older you get. Mm-hmm. Because you're always getting better at writing, I think. Yeah. And it's like, damn, I wish I would have done something better here. Even in my novel, there's a couple sentences I'm like, I should have written a better word here. Or like, it's a sloppy verb. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... You don't want to say that because you want people to go buy the book and think it's like the best thing ever. Well, if you buy my book and you find a sloppy sentence in there, DM it to me and I will Venmo you $18. What if it's the best line you've ever written? You're like, no, I'm not. That's that's a good line. I would say this isn't sloppy. Okay. So how was it writing different from like writing like Death Wish? It was horrible. It was um it was horrible? Like being stuck in a world that no one else gives a shit about for like seven, eight years was like it, it was seven, eight like, years? Yeah, I started this book in 2015. Wow. And um, I was like, how? I, I mean, I was really excited when I wrote the story. I wanted a story that I was really enamored with myself because I knew like a, the writers are spend most of their time alone working on this stuff. So it was like, how do I stay interested? So I came up with a character set and situations that I thought I'd be able to go all the way to like the end of the book with. And um, that was great. But then like, in the edit phase it was just like brutal and then like with the agent i had it was just brutal and um i wasn't really caring about it and just like i you know like i lost faith you know and like there was like a year where it just sat dormant and um i would like ask people not to i was like please don't ask me about my fiction anymore just like make me so sad yeah a hundred percent you gave up on it but then came back to it yeah, and I was—I remember like, um, there's like a whole year where I would just like lay on Rachel's floor and be like, "This novel I wrote, I think it's so good, but no one cares about it, and like, I need to fix the structure. My agent wants me to fix the structure, but I don't want to." And I was like, every time I look at it, I want to throw up. And it wasn't that I thought it was good, but I was like, I was really excited about this weird book I wrote and I was like, mm-hmm. I just wish people could see it. 
Cause it, and it was like, I don't want to do like, I would send them the PDF and they, no one reads a PDF in their Gmail. That's like yeah, I know. 200 pages. It's it was hard. just like real, real bummer that I had like thought I'd created something special that like maybe 50 people would like, like that was my goal. It was mm-hmm. like, if I could just get this printed somehow at that point, you know, when I first started talking to an agent and he was like, uh, vintage contemporaries, maybe would take it or something. And I was like, that would be cool. But that wasn't the path for this book, but I'm actually Sarka who published it did such a good job. Like I wouldn't trade them for any other publisher. So what was the initial pull in 2015 of writing uh, fiction just because it was different? It's a challenge. I love novels. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can create situations in fiction that you can't do in poetry. Yeah. And like That's take true. someone inside someone's mind and just like see them. There's like emotional, there's like a duration across the five act structure that you you can't really do in a poem. You can talk about in a poem, but I don't think you can be an example of. And I just wanted to learn how it worked, and I wanted to try to do it. Yeah, you, you was that that fear of like starting a new project and having no idea, and you're just kind of like wandering in the dark. Well, I tried one and gave up, and then the next year, of my MFA, the first year I started a novel, spent a year on that, scrapped it. Second year, started a whole new thing. Wait, what were those about? The first one was um, had like these two characters named Ikea. One was male, one was female, and they lived like dual alternating lives. And mm-hmm. but the story is really emo and wasn't very conceptual and rigid the way that like I wanted it to be. And then so I scrapped that. And then the next one was about it was kind of like The Graduate. It was like a young boy and like an older cougar. And he like mm-hmm. gets a job for her. And like they had they were going to have this affair. But I just like wasn't that interested in it ultimately and then i was like well, what's the most fucking ridiculous story i can have that has like sex and violence at the first page mm-hmm. and then um i wrote the first page almost as a dare and it was like how can i now i can make the whole rest of the book live up to this yeah because like we, the first page like there's strap-ons and like dildos strap on they're shooting there's mm-hmm. fucking watching tv is like the dude wishes he was wearing had a strap on his face you know it was like all, yeah. all this stuff and it was like now i have to make a story that justifies this beginning and so like, you were you kind of like pulled into like the idea of writing something shocking and then setting it in a literary way or writing i didn't it think in... it was really that shocking yeah i don't either but maybe for you i don't know i think well i think it, it's it seemed less sensitive than something i normally would have written mm-hmm. um maybe just because for all of our sex positivity just the idea of like courtney kardashian over her clothes wearing a strap on mm-hmm. and like doing a little wiggle dance just describing that is somehow transgressive i i mean that's really all that happens on there like, you don't see any genitalia or anything um yet people clutch their pearls but um, no, I don't know. Like as far as shocking, I, I think like what is more shocking is like uh, some of the formal innovation in the book, like mm-hmm. writing New York Times style sections, style pieces in there. Like for me, that was like really challenging. And I read a bunch of them to like get the voice. Mm-hmm. So are you like now strictly fiction or strictly poetry? I have a, another book of poems that I'm trying to finish that was after Death Wish that sort mm-hmm. of like makes sense to be after death wish and everything i've written since then and i'm trying to finish 
a couple of pieces for that to finish up and it's been exciting. And then after that, um, I have another novel I started when If I Close My Eyes was sort of on pause. That's sort of about um, Rachel Rabbit-White, actually. I've talked about her a lot in this interview and mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends and she's just one, but um, the year I went through was like really tedious breakup and um, Rachel was also going through that is like the year she also wrote her first book, Porn Carnival. So yeah. it's sort of about transmutating pain into art. And like, were you were you surprised to see the reaction that she has received? I'm so proud of her. I mean, I watched her work her ass off on that book, and like all the pain that went into it, and like she would stay up all night working on stuff. And like her and her boyfriend, then Antonio, they would like print the drafts on her little printer, and like she would read them, and he would like tell her if her meter was off. I mean, it's not written in meter, but he would be like, this is a clunky, it doesn't sound good. And then like, she would work on it and fix it. And like, mm -hmm. I don't know a lot of people who work that hard on it. And I would like go over there every few days just to hang out. And like, she would show me, we, I, I would get like at 5 a.m. She'd be up all night and she would like share a Google doc with me. Mm -hmm. Maybe like Rachel worked on this poem last night. And then like, we talked about the edits. She never liked my edits ever. Oh really? That's yeah, hilarious. she never liked my edits. Um, I always always wanted her to be more concise, but she didn't want to do that. That's and, funny. Uh, I was like, "That's you know, it's your poems." And like, she had a a, a very well developed background in reading um, the poets that she liked, and they were different f from me. You know, like she's more into like I'd say like Anne Sexton, Malay, Mina Loy, and um. I just like never really assimilated those writers. So like her intuitions are different from mine. So when she would like show me a draft and I'd like do this, she'd be like, no, no, I need to have these things in here. And I'd be like, well then keep it in, you know? Yeah. Um, so you heard by that, you're like, I have all this knowledge about poetry. Um, I mean, uh, I will admit that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just sort of wish I could help her more. Do, do What if she like came back to you and was like, oh, I should have made those edits. No, because she got Elaine Con edited that book. Oh, okay. And so she was Who, like Elaine knew exactly what she was doing. Who's Mina? I've heard of Mina Loy. Mina Loy. Mina Mina Loy is a um a writer from like the nineteen hundred a modern poet, okay. actually, a modernist poet. Like Elizabeth Bishop? Does she go Yeah, that era. Okay, yeah. I've heard those two two names associated together, I think. But like I asked Paul Hanson Clark and Austin Islam this question. I asked him if you're an e-girl. What is your opinion on that? Um, I would love to be an e-girl. I think I've, I have to cede that space to other up-and-coming e-girls. Mm -hmm. um, but you were like Shy Watson with uh, Rachel Rabbit White. I guess those are all. They were saying those were e-girls. Or they um, were. I love Shy and Rachel. Um, I think I'm just like not coquettish enough. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I try to like with my hair, like I feel like I'm sort of femme. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm just not that. I think I'm too sober online. Too sober? But I'm not like vaping and petting my cat and like mm -hmm. doing ketamine. When did you come up with this logo, this little devil logo? That is from an old. Archie comic 
or like Casper era, like Casper mm -hmm. the ghost, like this cute little character, but then it was like hot stuff, the devil. Yeah. And that's come to like define you. You use that. It was like a big death wish era image for me. And I think I love that guy because he's like satanic, but also like seems harmless. And I love that sort of, I don't know if that's e-girl, but it's sort of like cyber twee. Do you think like death wish like kind of redefined you in a way or like did, did not like you doubled down on who you were? I don't, I'm trying to figure this out because I was kind of embarrassed by that book, but until recently, really? I, well, there's a lot of really forthcoming erotic poems in there. Mm -hmm. that i'm kind of just like now but um my next novel has a lot of that there's a lot of bdsm scenes in my next novel because there's like the character does a lot of high risk he doesn't goes into a lot of high risk scenarios to like numb himself mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of like uh power play and so now i'm back kind of like oh yeah death wish i i do like it actually but it just goes to show how it's all bullshit, man were you afraid when you put that book out that like people would yeah cancel you or something not cancel me because or look down um, on you well i just think maybe they would think i was a pervert or they would know i was a pervert i, mean, I think everyone's a pervert but once you kind of like show it you, people can kind of like push you you know you know it happens to people so but um I don't know. I mean, it came. It, it might seem now that it just like dropped suddenly, but like those poems slowly got published a couple of places before, and I did readings. It was mm -hmm. kind of just like I ran it by people I really trust, same as I would do. Um, it just kind of like make sure I wasn't fucking up, you know. Well, it felt like you're being a character of like yourself. Like it wasn't you. You weren't like it wasn't your like autobiography. Or, like it's impossible to write. A, poem where that kind of doesn't happen a little bit i think yeah do you lean into that the spectacular character i love playing on that mm -hmm. um like the next book i would i could kind of write it exactly as it happened but there's a couple people who don't want to be in it um so like i was like okay cool and just like scrub them and then it's like but it leaves some holes so i'm gonna have to make up a bunch of stuff and mm -hmm. then it's like there's no way i can do this in a way that I know in my heart is it's, I know it's going to, it has to be fiction. What and do you like? We, oh, go sorry. ahead. You can keep going. Well, let's say like, um, I think the book would be just as good because it's like, you know, I think of novels in a lot of ways as like a play of symbols going through a story. Um, it's not a memoir. So it's like, there's any number of ways to satisfy these conditions for the main character to move from like, the condition on the from page one to like page 300 so it's like just like extra work i'm gonna have to do but it's like i know people are gonna read this and be like i can't believe that happened or did this happen and like half of it yeah but half of it like absolutely not mm -hmm. so what what brought you back to committing to finishing the novel um because didn't you go sober during this time yeah, uh, that was in 2018. Um, it wasn't that. Um, I Well, I had a friend named Megan Boltz who had told Francesca that I had written this novel and they were hanging out and Francesca texted me and was like, I heard you wrote a novel. And I was like, oh, yeah, funny story. Yeah, I do. I can send you the PDF because it's never going to get published. And then she was like, 
well, I'm kind of thinking about doing books for my press. And I was like, well, we could talk about what we both want. Cause I've learned that that's like really important. You know, and I it was just like, you know, I didn't really want much other than just like have a book that looked like a real book and like was easy, you could read it on the page and the, mm-hmm. the margins weren't too close to the inside of the spine. And mm-hmm. like you could read the title and the name on the cover and like it wasn't ugly. So what did you say? What was important? Oh, stating what you wanted. Um, in which which regard? You said like you were talking to her and stating what was important. What was important of- to me? Once I like, it seemed like we weren't. I wasn't. Well, I got rid of my agent. Um. Because I realized we just had like a different vision for the book, which is really too bad because we had spent many years on it and um i am you know if they happen to hear this eternally grateful for the feedback they gave and there were some suggestions they gave that i think genuinely strengthened the book um though i do wonder why if they thought i needed to change so much they took the book on in the first place Mm -hmm. um would i'd say like there's something that kind of came to bum me out and uh, i finally did have to say like I can't work on this book anymore. Like I've given everything I have to this book. This is my last draft. And then they were like, okay, now these are the next things we need to work on. And I was like, they obviously want me to fire them because Mm. I just put up this huge boundary of like, yeah, it's super intense personal goal. And like, they just plowed through it. And, um, you didn't feel like you were being listened to. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it is what it, I don't want to say it is what it is. I mean, it's like every relationship involves two people who want things. And whatever there's people who want things, there's going to be conflicts because people never want the exact same things. Yeah. And it's like, just because it doesn't work out doesn't make it a failure. And like, I'm so happy where this book ended up. And mm-hmm. when I finish my next draft, whenever that is, I probably will look for agents again and like go through that whole thing. And um, But that's not today, so... So what kept you from not trashing this book? I did. I trashed it, but Francesca liked it. And okay. she liked what I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Aside from saying, like, I want, you know, a book that it looks decent and, like, is available to buy online for, like, the two years after it comes out. Um, the small presses disappear all the time. And I was okay yeah. with that. But it was, like, if you could just get a couple hundred out into the world. So, mm-hmm. like. There will always be one on eBay, at least, if like my mom needs to buy it. You know, is like you needed to get out. You needed it to get out. Yeah. Oh, I needed one of it exercised off my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like when she read it, we both thought like the same things were special about the book, and that was really important to me. Do you wish you could do that? You had the ability to do that on your own instead of like so. Because like sometimes when someone comes to me and compliments me. It's, it's such a strong and powerful, like, motiv- motivating factor. I wish I could have that ability to just produce that feeling on my own. I tried to will that. I didn't. I would meditate before I worked on my book. When I was totally done, like year five, six, and just like praying for the willingness to open the Word document and like spend mm-hmm. forty minutes, thirty minutes on it, twenty-five mm-hmm. minutes on it, and it was like, I love literature. These are my favorite books. These are the books that inspired me to write. These are the things about my book that I really believe in. I spent all this time on it 
this book deserves for me to continue working on it. Mm -hmm. And I would like do some deep breaths and just like try to sit on that every day. I, every day I worked on it, I had to do that. And it would only be like once or twice a week by the mm -hmm. end. Cause it was like nobody, even if people gave a shit and they'd be like, I really want this to come out. It was on me, you know, mm -hmm. that's fucking horror, you know, like existentially harrowing. Did it help that your one of your friends wrote a novel or did that hinder it? I think your friend, uh, I think Jameson, Jameson Fitzpatrick, he was a poet and then he wrote a novel and you put a novel out. I didn't even know that, honestly. He's not your friend. I thought he was like your best friend. Um, Andrew Durbin. Is that your thing? Fitzpatrick. About? I thought it was like this. There was a Jameson guy. Fitzpatrick who. Um, You're not friends with him. They're now living as a woman. And Wait, I believe she, I don't think she has a novel, but that wouldn't surprise me. But um, my a very close friend, Andrew Durbin, did publish novels. And um, was it about weather, a weather event? Yeah. MacArthur Park was the name of his. Yes. Book. That's what I was talking about. I think it's called MacArthur Park. Did that inspire um, you or detract you or you didn't even notice? Um, it, I mean, it just made me realize this was like mine to fuck up. It Wait, was what? Like, I, well, I knew it was like if I actually finished it, and well, this is the thing because it was like all my friends who started writing books after I had started this, their books came out, and I was just like, "Is the same thing as smoking weed?" Where it's like all the demons start whispering, "That's like I can't do it." Mm -hmm. And um, but I knew I could, but it was just like why it wasn't happening. And how do you push through that with, with all that meditation bullshit I just <laughs> described? Yeah. Um, and then I started a whole another book, you know, and I maybe even thought like, maybe I'll stop writing fiction until I'm 40 and then I'll check in again, like in the grand cosmic scheme. So there's something positive about meditating and like putting positive, like, I think just remembering why I wanted to do it in the first place. That, that was a flame that will never be extinguished. Like I know you like flattery goes a really long way mm -hmm. you're describing and, um, having someone gas you up, like. I feel like there's a way to savor that in like a humble way and just be like, like I have a note, a student of mine wrote to me that when her book came out, Grace Doherty, she lives in LA and um, her book is called tell me about heaven. And um, when it came out, she sent it to me and wrote me this like really kind note. And I just kept that note. And I was like, I'm going to read this every day. Cause it's just like, mm -hmm. I forget, you know, like uh, stay in touch with like, um, with like the part of you that loves writing mm -hmm. and um don't compare don't look you know block out the noise of other people's success mm -hmm. um or like find compassion for them even in their success and um remember that your career is just that and uh, oh and i also patience will always get people what they want waiting is really humiliating but if you work really hard on your stuff someone will always take notice and it will always get published. That's I've never true. seen I've never seen that not happen for someone. Keep I've never seen more. anyone who wanted to get published. Maybe it wasn't the poems they were working on in that moment. Maybe it wasn't that exact project. But as years go by, this is a lifelong thing. You mm -hmm. know, this isn't this isn't fucking Twitter, you know. This yeah. is like this is like things people have been doing for thousands of years. And it's mm -hmm. like if you're lucky, you're gonna have a long 65, 75, 85 year life. And it's like honor that and honor this like thing that we're all participating in by like 
being patient and like really working on it and just like i don't know yeah it, it, it happens it always happens for people people always end up published and i, I see you know, students I, I become friends with so many of my students who are also cool and like really smart and like that's it's great and i just there's always a time when like someone gets really eager and gets really down on themselves usually mm -hmm. when like a new magazine drops online here's 30 people they're not in it they feel like it's never going to happen for them really hate having those conversations with people by the way but mm -hmm. i always tell them the same thing which is like keep working on your poems don't look at what other people are doing this magazine even exists in two years you, you know you could submit then if not there'll be mm -hmm. a whole other thing going on that you can despair about you have know? you seen um shelby hartness like how much progress she's made she's kicking ass she's like putting poems everywhere but that's then i amazing. see like she's not getting enough attention that's so cool i mean they shelby was a student of mine i think yeah she was in my ago. class it was like three years ago yeah 21 i think Fuck. <laughs> um that's amazing you know yeah but like if i would have been like you're gonna be kicking ass in 2024 <laughs> in mm -hmm. 2021 she probably would quit you know it's like that's true that's a long time to wait but it's like now if you would be like what would you tell 2021 shelby she'd probably be like keep fucking going you know mm -hmm. that's what i would just tell people it's like it's worth it like trust me it's worth it so you you're happy with the life that you've chosen that's what would you just i see a whole what, other part two to this podcast what led you to sobriety fucking being a demon you think well you get i mean you know it's like the funny games is over the misery compounds and then it's like the amount of substances you end up doing just to like get back to the baseline of numbed out is so high it's like you wake up one day and you realize you're gonna be dead soon and it is like i was fucking i was beat down you know like i'm 41 you know it's like not cute anymore and um it's like wake up with the grim reaper at the foot of your bed and it was just really? like yeah it was like i can make a choice of like which way i want to go with this thing and uh yeah so was it hard initially yeah it was fucking hard <laughs> <laughs> but you, writing a novel was harder okay so you chose something harder to do and persisted at that well i wasn't sober when i wrote my whole no novel draft actually oh yeah so despite being like very tired and like often hungover or less like tired from like being worn down i still like wrote the book i feel and like that was a, that's like the art impulse has always been there for me but you find a way to challenge yourself and overcome that challenge even though you have all these dark thoughts i really just wanted to do write a novel okay so have you ever manifested these dark thoughts into a reality there's a book um a chapbook called compersion that i put out that has oh yeah there's two voices in it where I write this a lot of this out. Um, that's got sort of in like a, it's like oriented toward a um, like romantic situation, where like these voices are telling me like how little I am, in the scheme of like you're you're you don't have enough like you're not enough as a person like your personhood is just like not worth 
these things. And it's just like, there's a BDSM sense where people are into humiliation and you have a safe word and you like step outside of that and you mm -hmm. get pleasure from it. And mine is not that this is, this is not consensual, you know? Yeah. It's like there's no safe word for these core negatives and this like negative self-talk. So like, I guess what I did was like transubstantiated into my poetry. Was it like therapeutic? Yeah, probably. Because mm -hmm. then I realized once once you kind of get it in an art context, you realize that it's like it's not facts. It's just a thing. It's just material. Do you think these dark thoughts will always be with you, or at some point they'll fade away? Yeah, it's my default. Like I could wake up in the middle of the night and my mind is going. You know, I think everyone kind of is like that. Um, Dude. But my specific brand, my inner monologue is like has that are you religious not in the sense of like religion in which like there's an established order and um there's like ways to do things um i do really appreciate a lot about religion and um i find churches really beautiful of all kinds like really mm. inspiring and uh hearing about religious texts and like listening to lectures on them i think is really cool I love mystics of all kinds. Mm -hmm. um, mystics and poets are so closely related. I feel like that's like our inheritance. But those people were often shunned by the church until hundreds of years later. So it's like, I don't know. I have gone to some, there's a really nice church here in Ridgewood that is just like enormous and really beautiful on the inside. But I always love hearing, you know, like the talks. Mm -hmm. um, they talk a lot about sin. And I'm really into Simone Weil, Gravity and Grace is her book. She just has the interesting concepts on sin of how it's like, they're very natural. They, we fill holes in our lives with sins. And, and, and in that sense, it's like survival, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like not, they're not necessarily like, we're not damned to hell. I, I see that narrative as being used to shape society way more than to like help people. So it's like, I, I would say no, unfortunately I'm not religious. Um, you wish you were a mystic. I don't really have prophecy, a gift of prophecy. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think Theo does? Yeah. Yeah? I don't think, I think they're still a baby. They're a baby mystic still. But I think they could be really powerful if they had, if they like spent some time in the desert, I think they could harness it. But I think, I think the city is not great for them actually. Wait, what do you mean by this? I think they do a lot of drugs and are are it costs so much to stay in New York just to like pay bills and rent and like keep your lights on and doors locked and like have a warm, dry place to live. I think you don't really get I think that shrivels the inner state a lot. And uh I think the O would do well to like have some time out of the city and just like honestly you probably just like wander the Middle East in a robe you know, like Christian sites, Muslim sites, I agree. Like Jewish sites, like all the Abrahamic religions and then like pass through the East, you know, and just like, yeah. like all those traditions and like, would you go with a major glow up for them? Theo, if you listen an hour and a half into this, let's uh, get your ass into the desert. You and Chariot. Do what? You and Chariot and Theo. 
Yeah, that'd be nice. You you pause there for a second. I don't know if I want to go with the. the I don't think I'm involved with Theo's Theo's trip. Because I think it doesn't like Theo and Chariot have like intense conversations. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, about politics and sexuality they and things. They love each other so much. They lived together for so long. Oh, they have. I know Theo is crazy because Cherry'd be like, "My door got kicked in," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And they're like, "Well, Theo did it." And Theo lived there, and it's just like, "Yeah, leave room for God, Theo." So, did Theo's like opinions on like trans identity like come from living with Chariot? I'm, I don't know. I'll probably edit that question out, but I, I, I truly, I don't know. Because Theo has like some opinions i don't agree with when it comes i to don't it. know what they are yeah i don't either but um i'm losing my voice we've been talking for so long i accept theo for who he is do you not you should i think you should do more of these like do more podcasts so we can this figure out really, like, this has been really fun well thank you for coming on they're not all fun they're not all fun wait have you been on other podcasts i've i've been lucky to do a lot of interviews for this book um mm-hmm. But you actually know a lot about me, which is so sweet. Oh, no problem. You're like one of the most respected people in the indie scene, I feel like. You want to talk about your class a little bit? The, yeah, but I'm going to have to go after this because I'm... Okay, sorry. Use my voice, but... um, Yeah, so Cool Memories is the name of this class I started. Um, I did it actually in 2018 after I got sober because it was like, what am I going to do with my time? And... um. I just invited some friends to log on once a week and uh, upload poems into a folder. And I, we would look at them and talk about them. And uh, it went really well and it was really satisfying. So I kept it going month to month. And then like, I do it for as little as possible as I can do, like as far as tuition. So you could do it for a hundred for a month. It's like 25 a class. And I try to do need-based if people only have 50. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never told, I've actually, People have asked they could take it for free, and I always say yes. Um, Because I don't know. Like, this this person who I never heard of said, like, they were talking to the people from No Deer Magazine, and they said, I might let them take my class for free. And I was like, I don't know why they thought that, but actually I do know why, because I would. And then I had no idea who this person was. They were so sweet and delightful in class and, like, Mm -hmm. submitted their poems. They were so excited, and I was like... I would hate it for them not to be in there. Yeah. I think that's the cool thing you do because you keep your classes affordable. A lot of the other places, they're too, I feel like they're too expensive. But I understand why they're so expensive because a lot of the people, they're just like living in New York and prices are so high there. So I do understand why, but it's still like I can't afford it. My cost of living is really low. I mean, I have rent and like utilities, but. You know, I'm not dating anyone. I don't have a kid. I'm not married. I don't go out drinking. Do you wish you were married and like had a kid? I um I don't wish I was, but I'm open to the fact that like my life could have had that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like sort of anti-natalist. What's that? Which, you know what I mean? Do you know what mm-hmm. that is? It's like um to see like creating a person is as to like to set that person on a path where they're going to have like a harmful life and like mm-hmm. there's going to be more bad things than good things for them like i kind of do feel that which is like the atheist in me i guess you do that um, for yourself 
felt like life is more bad than good. Mm-hmm. Do um, you see how that could have turned out for you? Um, I would, I mean, do I wish I wasn't born? I guess is kind of one of the questions. I'd say no, I, I don't wish I was never born, but um, <laughs> it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of work for me to understand the value, like the transcendent value of suffering, I would say. Um, I'm going to send you a podcast link to David Benatar, who is like, but people always ask, why is your life so bad? And he says, I don't ever talk about myself because that's the first thing people ask. But it's not mm -hmm. about that. This is a general, a general rule he could apply to anyone, which is like, it's great for the parents to like get joy from having a little kid and then the fun's over and then it's just like set down this this losing thing. I mean, I, I do think like life is like wretched and miserable and like pointless in a lot of ways. But I think that for me, that's why like art saves me in a way. Yeah, I think it's a great lesson to end on. Cool. I thought I thought your life like from the outside was a lot happier. I didn't know you had these dark thoughts. You don't believe everything you see on social media. Okay. I don't post negative stuff online. I feel like there's like a real trend of being like, my life is so bad. I'm laying in bed all day. And I'm like, what mm -hmm. a fucking loser, man. Like, yeah. You could do better. Anyone could do better than that. Like some people very... really, their life is really bad, but like most people aren't. They're just being little bitches. Yeah. You got to keep it happy. You just like, at least keep it neutral. Just yeah. like go find someone who needs your help and help them out, you know? Exactly. Like walk down the street, find someone who's carrying a mattress and like help them carry it up and then go to fucking bougie diner that you love and have a milkshake and just like cheer up. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I love you. I love you. I'll see you, dude. Bye. Bye. And that was Ben Bama with... If I close my eyes, which you can go pick up right now. My mouth is so dry, man.